At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. This morning, I want us to draw our attention to Psalm 40. I want to read it for us uh, together. This is a psalm to the choir master, a psalm of David. Psalm verse, 40, verse 1, chapter 40 says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet uh, they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offerings you do not delight, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you, are not, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I come to the scroll of the book, and it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who put me to shame and disappointment altogether, who, watch, who seek to snatch away my life, let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help, my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words this morning. We thank you that you are a God that promises deliverance in the midst of our pain. And today, as we focus in on this psalm today, Father, would you lift our spirits, open our eyes to see your gracious, loving kindness that is given towards us. Father, may we rest in your peace. May we rest in your comfort. May we rest in you today. So encourage us now, God. Challenge us now from your word so that we may be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you're like me and you've spent some time in your life putting things together based on an instruction book, right? Have you ever received something and then you get the instruction book and you're reading through it and you're like, wow, this is cool. Now I know how to put this together. But then have you ever got to the point of where you're like, why in the world do they want me to do this step now? Or there's something in the instructions that you're like, why is it there? And then you're like, ah, I don't need to do it. And so then you continue on and then you realize that you made a mistake and then you have to go back and fix it. Anyone ever do that? Maybe 
I'm, I'm the, I'm, okay, good. I'm not the only one. You know, instructions are important. They're there for a purpose. They're there to tell us what we're supposed to do. And then they're also supposed to tell us how to do it, right? But the question, a lot of things that I wonder about these instruction books a lot of times is they don't give you the why, right? Like if they, if they said, this is what you're supposed to do, and they gave me the why, then I would, it would make sense, and I would more than likely not want to skip some steps, right? You guys with me on that? You know, even as kids, we have this curiosity of why. As, as kids grow up, a lot of times they go through seasons of their life where they just continually want to ask the question, why, why, why? Because they want to know the reason behind it, not just the what. And today, as we continue our series, Assembly Required, we've been taking a look as we've been walking through uh, several of the Psalms. We've been looking at God's design for the gathering of the church, that it is required for us as followers of Christ to gather together in the assembly, in the congregation. And we've been walking through, we know the what we're supposed to do, right? But a lot of times we don't know why. Why is it that God desires for us and has designed the church for us to gather on a weekly basis? And especially during this season, it's important that we understand the why. You know, especially as we haven't been able to, to gather together and some still aren't able to gather with us uh, in physical uh, proximity to each other. Many are still gathering with us digitally. But the question is, why do we do this? Why is it important? And that's what this sermon series has been about, trying to answer to the why do we gather. And so the first week, we remember, I want to remind you that we talked about we gather or assembly is required so that we can receive God's word. Each one of us needs God's word. We need that voice in our lives to influence us, to influence us in the ways that we think, in the ways that we feel, in the ways that we respond. We need God's word. And when we gather together, it's one of the ways that we get a chance to do that. Second, we gather. Another reason that we are to gather is that it gives us the opportunity to confess our sins as a faith community. It gives us an opportunity on an individual basis, on a weekly basis, to gather together and be reminded of our, the sin that's in our lives so that we can confess it and be cleansed of it. Last week, we were reminded that we gather for the purpose of singing and worshiping together. There's something special about gathering together where we come from our different homes and come from our different lives and then on a weekly basis we gather together in this place and we lift the name of Jesus up. There's something about that that is amazing. And today we're going to see that we gather together to testify of God's deliverance. This is one of the things that we, we do on a weekly basis. God wants us to gather so that we constantly are reminded that God has delivered us. And specifically now, we gather because Jesus has given us the ultimate deliverance of our sins. And you may be think, thinking to yourself, well, how does my personal deliverance and how does that impact the, the corporate body uh, of Christ? Well, I want to remind you, this psalm that we took a look at already today that I've already read to you, if you look at the instructions Prior to verse 1, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. This psalm, which was deeply personal to David, was designed to be used in corporate worship. This was one of the songs that they sang as the, the people of God in the Old Testament days gathered together. They would sing this to the Lord. They would communicate and share about their common deliverance. Even though our deliverance is personal, 
there's something about it when we share it together. Because if you look at, as a church family this morning, each one of us share, those that are in Christ, have a common deliverance. We all came to have peace with God and peace with each other only through faith in Christ. That's something we all share. We're all covered by the blood of the Lamb. But even though we come in the same way, each one of us have our personal stories, right? God has spoken to us and God has met us in different times and in different ways. And each one of those are deeply personal, but we have a shared deliverance. As we gather together, we are reminded that it's the blood of Jesus that has saved us from our sins. It is the blood of Jesus that has brought us peace with God. It is the blood of Jesus that has forgiven us. And so today, as we look at this psalm, we see that even in, in our lives and in David's life, not only are we in need of spiritual deliverance, which we'll talk about in, in a moment, but a lot of times we go through circumstances in life where we need physical deliverance. We, we need God to step in. And as David is, is writing this psalm, we see that he's at the place in his life where he's facing current challenges and is in deep need of deliverance. If you look at verse 13 of this psalm, we see that he that he calls out to the Lord again. He says, be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. This is in a current context. He's currently facing a deep challenge in his life. And he says, "Those let those be put to shame and be disappointed altogether who sneak to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame. Those who say to me, aha, aha. You see, David is in a current personal situation where he's in desperate need of deliverance because there are people that seek to do harm in his life. So this is the context. Very personal, but still in the understanding of the great congregation. So in David's desperate cry for deliverance, we see one thing that he does in verses one through three. In this current desperate state, he looks back and remembers God's faithfulness to deliver him in the past. And so first, in verses one through three, what we're gonna see is that when we gather together as the corporate body of Christ, as the family of God, we are to testify that God is our rock. In the midst of current pain and in the midst of deliverance that we need in the future, we are continually to be reminded that God is our rock. Look with me in verse 1. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What we see here first off, as David begins to testify of his rocks, we see uh, that God is his rock. We see that God's deliverance in David's life didn't come in David's timing. We see here that, that David proclaims, he says, I've waited patiently for the Lord. Another translation says, I've waited and I waited for the Lord. There was a deep longing and a deep sense of need from God. He was, David was facing a desperate situation. And you may be here too in a similar place 
where you feel like you're in desperate need of deliverance, where you've been waiting, you've been praying and you've been crying out to the Lord, oh Lord, help me with this. Maybe it's physical deliverance, maybe it's spiritual deliverance, or, or maybe it's financial deliverance. Whatever it is, you feel the, much the same way that David feels at the same time, as though you've been calling out to God and that he hasn't been listening to you or that he's been distant from you. Well, while we wait for the Lord, it's important that we follow David's example. You see, as he was waiting for the Lord in his current deliverance, he was reminding that he had to wait for the Lord's deliverance in the past as well. But there is a time that he says, and then he inclined his ear and he heard my cry. See, what we got to understand, and sometimes we, we forget, is that our God is a big God and our God cares for a lot of people. And God is at work in everyone's life around us and through us and in everything. And sometimes as God is working out things in other people's lives, it takes time. Right? And, and so we can wait on the Lord, but he's faithful. And God will hear us in his timing and God will deliver us in his way. So many times we come to God and we have cries of deliverance and we want God to do it immediately and we want him to deliver us in the way that we have set out. And many times that's not the way God's, God works. You, you cannot uh, make God work in your timing, but we can trust in his timing and that his promises are true. Look again how David describes his desperate situation. It says that he was close to death because he was in a pit of destruction. I, I imagine this pit being super deep, right? It's a super deep pit and the walls are made of slippery clay. You guys ever been around slippery clay? where you just can't get a foothold. And so he's in this deep, deep pit where the walls are made of the slippery clay and this miry bog that he's in is like deep, thick, very, very moist clay. And it's, it's almost as though it's, it takes great strength to even lift his feet up out of this miry bog. And he's at the place where he understands he can do nothing to save himself. Like he's in a desperate place. And so what does he do? After he comes to the end of himself, that's exactly where God needs him to be so that God can save him. Sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves before God will step in and deliver us and save us. Uh, there's a Christian evangelist, his name is Ravenhill, that I was listening to a sermon uh, that he preached years ago. And he said this, and I think it's so important for us to be reminded today. He says, the greatest sin in the world is not adultery. The greatest sin in the world is not murder. The greatest sin in the world is someone that thinks they can manage their life without God. That's the greatest sin. The greatest sin in our lives is thinking we can do it on our own, that we don't need God, we don't need his help. And that's, when we get to that place, we know we're in desperate need of true help. It's not until we get to the bottom of that miry pit that we realize that I've got nothing to do. I can't fix this. And that's when we call on God. We need God. We need to turn to him because he delivers us. And we see here a beautiful picture that his deliverance is complete. 
Look at how David's deliverance was, was complete. He was in the pit, and so God reached down and grabbed him up out of the pit, and not only did he, he take him out of the pit and leave him on the edge, no, he set his feet on solid ground. He gave, us, he gave him a secure place for his steps to go and led him on a path away from the pit. So he gave him a new path to walk. Not only does he do that, but he puts a new song in his mouth. Fresh off of this deliverance, David now has a mouthful of praise. And as he goes, he's telling all the, all the people around him, look at what God has done in my life. He delivered me from the pit. I was helpless. I couldn't do anything to get out of that on my own, but God has delivered me. And what happens from this mouth of praise? Many come to know God. That's the way it works. Sometimes we put ourselves in the bottom of that pit. Sometimes God allows us to go to the bottom of the pit. And even though down in the dumps and the bottom of the pit, it hurts and it doesn't feel good and we question the goodness of God, there's a purpose for it. Because when we call out to God and we say, God, help me, he delivers us so that he gets the praise. So that as we share about what God has done in our lives, he gets glorified. So in our lives, the greatest need for deliverance that we have is spiritual deliverance. Let me remind you of some of the truths found in God's word. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What that means is that each one of us have violated God's law. God, because he's God, has the right to choose and to, to, to declare what is right, what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. And each one of us has taken what God has said to do and not do, and we have violated God's law. We've all sinned, and we've fallen short of God's standard. And so we're all in desperate need. Why? Because the Bible says, for the wages of our sin is death. What we get for our rebellion, what we earn for our rebellion is eternal death where the wrath of God gets poured out on us for eternity. We're in desperate need. There's nothing that you can do to, to save yourself from your sins. There's not some cosmic scale out there where God says, if, if at the end of the day you end up doing more good than you do bad, then you're okay. Right? There's, there's no such thing. And, and actually, I'm thankful that there's no cosmic scale because there's absolutely no way of knowing, right? There's no way of knowing how if we did more good than we did bad. The only way that we come to faith is through Jesus. The only way that we get saved from that spirit, we get that spiritual deliverance is through Jesus. Let me remind you of another verse. This is for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is a complete deliverance that's only found in Jesus, where our eternity is secure. So my question to you today, do you believe in Jesus? Have you come to the end of yourself trying to save yourself? Have you tried to make yourself better in your life and you feel like you've been clawing at the walls, you know you're in the midst of a pit and you're trying to get out and finally you're like, okay, I just, I give up. That's the right place you need to be today because the Bible tells us also anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This can be yours today. Salvation can be yours if you lift up your hands and say, Jesus, save me. 
But you know, the beauty of our weekly gatherings together is that each one of us, every time we come in here, we should be reminded of our salvation, that we were delivered from our spiritual sin and that God is working in us and through us and around us. So we gather, why? To testify that God is our rock. Second, we testify that God multiplies his favor. Look with me in verse five. David writes, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. What David does is he shifts in verse five from talking about God to talking to God. And so he specifically, as, as David is in, remember he's in this need of, of deliverance that people are after him and want to do harm to his life. So he's in a real physical need of deliverance, not in spiritual, because that's already been taken care of. He spends time looking back and being reminded of God's faithfulness in his own life. And David is overwhelmed. And he can't even recount all the ways that, that God has stepped in and helped him in the past. The great things that God has done uh, for him and to him. He is absolutely overwhelmed that God is not distant from him. He's absolutely overwhelmed that God is close to him and that God knows his needs and that produces praise. Today, you may feel like God is so far away. You may feel that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. You may feel like God is too busy or too disinterested in your life and doesn't understand what's, what you're going through. But let me remind you from this verse, we see that God loves you and God knows you this passage says that he has many thoughts towards you. He, he has a lot of thoughts. You're on his mind. You and your individual needs, whatever you're walking through right now, you are on his mind. He has a lot of thoughts towards you. How can he do this? Because God is infinite. God is not distant from you. God is working all around you. Just many times we just don't have the eyes to see. Many times we get focused in on our problem and we get focused in on our pain and we get focused in on the difficulties and we say, God, where are you? And we don't see that he's there with us. You see, David was able to see that God was working all around him. He's, his eyes were open to see that he was being blessed and that increased his delight. It increased his delight in God. And now we see in verse six, the psalm continues, it says, in sacrifice and offerings you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written to me, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. See, David understands where his delight is found and where God's delight is found. And we see this, this play on delight. First, he speaks of the things that God does not delight in. God does not delight in the, the, the physical act of sacrifices. Even though it was required through Old Testament, the whole idea was not to do um, outward acts of righteousness in ways to earn God's favor. God doesn't want us to do religious things so that we, uh, so that we get a chance to hear his voice or he hears our voice. No, we do things, we do things and we serve the Lord out of a heart that is grateful 
That's why David says, I delight to obey. You don't want sacrifices. You don't want external things, but from a heart that is pleased, a heart that is thankful for the things that you've done, now I delight to obey. See, obedience to God brings delight in our lives. And one of the greatest ways that David's gonna show us now is that we can obey God is by sharing, God's, sharing about God's deliverance in the congregation. Do you see this? He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy for me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Do you see that? Like David was so overwhelmed by his deliverance in the past and God's faithfulness in the past that he couldn't keep it to himself, that he gathered in the congregation and he would tell, I'm a wreck, but God has saved me. I am broken, but God has restored me. I am a mess and God has made me new. He would not restrain it. He would not withhold it. He did not hide it. He constantly spoke of it. He did not conceal it. Do you see the importance of coming together to talk and to share about our common deliverance? When we gather, we testify of God's deliverance. How has God delivered you in the past? I'm so thankful that in my own life and in my own time, in my own way, God delivered me from my spiritual sin. It began when I was five years old. It began, it was after church on a a Sunday evening, we had a potluck. And uh, I was walking by my pastor's office and I saw my, my sister and my brother there. And uh, I, I peeked in there. I'm like, what? Oh, they must have been really bad because they're talking to the pastor. Like, you only go to the pastor's office when you're in trouble. And uh, so on the way home, I was like, hey, mom, why, why, was, why were they in the pastor's office? And my mom's like, well, they accepted Jesus. And I'm like, well, wh- what does that mean, mom? What, 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 is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? And uh, she began to talk to me about sin and I, and I began to be convicted. I knew I was a sinner. I knew that age five, that I had violated God's laws and that if I was going to, if I died that night, I knew I would go to hell. And so I said, mom, I want Jesus. I I, I want Jesus. And so uh, she prayed with me and I prayed and I asked, I gave all of myself that I knew of myself at the time to all that I knew of God and Jesus. But my walk didn't end there. It wasn't until I was in high school. I I, I continued to go to church and, and all that other stuff, but it really, I didn't really feel like I was walking with God. And it wasn't until in high school I went to a retreat over, it was a winter retreat, and the pastor was talking about uh, one of the ways that we know that we are a Christian is if we produce fruit, if we begin to look more and more like Jesus. And during that weekend, I was really, really convicted. I was doing a lot of good things, but it wasn't from a place of gratefulness. It wasn't from a place of thankfulness. And so after that weekend, I went home. Again, I, did, I, I went and talked to my mom, and my mom's like, hey, you know, the, like to be saved, it's important but you also need to give control of your life over to Jesus. And that night in my bedroom, I gave my hands up in the air and I said, Lord, take my life. I I know that you want what's best for me and I love you with a love that I don't fully comprehend now, but take my life and use me. And that's my story of spiritual deliverance. And from that po- moment on, I've continued just to devour God's word and try to walk with the Lord. And he's got me through a lot of things. He helped me walk through the death of my mom. 
and seeing that, that he delivered her from her physical, uh, uh, her physical needs and that the best way to deliver her was through taking her life so that she could be home with him. Do you have stories of God's deliverance in your life? Can, can you recount the ways that God has been faithful to you? Can you communicate to others how he saved you time and time and time again? I pray that you do and that we never stop communicating that. But we say specifically the application of this is that we are commanded and we're called to gather together with God's people and to communicate our deliverance together and to share that together. And I think so many times our culture has, has allowed church and church attendance to become such a lot low priority. Like we, we, um, we go on vacations and we easily allow home projects to take its space and we, we come up with all kinds of excuses by staying up too late on Saturday night. We wake up on Sunday morning, we're like, ah, I don't wanna gather together. Maybe I'll just tune in on TV or I'll watch it or I'll listen to uh, the, um, the podcast of it later. So quickly, we've allowed the priority of gathering together in God's house with God's people to get in the way. Now, I know even specifically during this season, there are legitimate reasons why we can't come to church. I, I get it. But I have a feeling a lot of people aren't coming to church not for legitimate reasons. They're coming, not coming to church because they're lazy. They're not coming to church because they don't understand the why. They don't come to church because they no longer want to be connected in this way. They don't want uh, to, they want to have their weeks and do whatever they want with their weeks. Let me give you an illustration of the problem with this. Imagine for a moment right here in the middle of the stage, we have this huge roaring fire, right? It's, it's a huge roaring fire with lots of logs and, and lots of sticks and each stick or each log represents you and me. And together, when we come together, it's an amazing sight to see a huge blazing fire. It gives off a lot of light and a lot of heat, right? And it's a beautiful thing to behold. But now imagine you take your stick and you move it away from the fire. What's going to happen to the stick? It's not going to continue to burn. Oh, it'll have light and heat for a little bit, but you remove it from the blaze of the fire and pretty soon it's gonna start to smoke, it's gonna start to smolder, and eventually it's going to go out. That's why it's so important that we gather together because we need this. On a weekly basis, we need to be reminded that we are not in control of our lives, that we need a savior to deliver us from our sin, that we need a savior to deliver us from the forces that are out there that are seeking to devour us. We need Jesus and we need each other. In this season, I wanna encourage you, do not fall away. Don't allow the noise of the world and, and the challenges of our culture to get you distracted. Instead, press in. Stay connected, and many of you are. But I also know that many of us can look around this room right now and we see people that used to be here that aren't. It is our responsibility and it is our opportunity to reach out to them and check in on them. Not as a way of making them feel bad if they're not here, but checking in. Maybe they are connecting with us by Facebook and, and they just need some encouragement. Reach out to them. Or maybe they have become disconnected and they need that gentle reminder to stay connected. In this season, let's not fall away. Third, we pray that God would keep us testifying. Look at me in verse 12. 
For evil has encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointment altogether who seek to snatch away. Make haste to help me. Let those be... um, let all be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thoughts, thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. You see, as David is walking through this current need of deliverance, He's praying that he, would, that he would continue to praise and keep testifying of the Lord. And because here's the, here's the thing about the Christian life. The Christian life is not like mountaintop to mountaintop. We don't go from strength to strength to strength, from good season to good season to good season. No, we have good times and then we go through valleys. And the reason we go through valleys is because there's things that God needs to teach us. We are not yet perfected. There are still sin in our lives that needs, needs to come away and be dealt with. There's uh, behaviors in our life. There's thoughts in our lives. There's things that God needs to work. And sometimes we don't, we're not gonna learn all that from the top of the mountain. We learn it from the valleys. We learn it from those places. And sometimes we, we get, it's hard work. The Christian life is hard. And sometimes we get tired. And sometimes we're like, you know what? I'm just going to sit on the couch until Jesus calls me home. See, that's a real reality. Some people, they check out and they're like, I, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm just going to wait until Jesus calls me home. But David here says we need to continually pray that we keep testifying, that God keeps us in the game, that God keeps us chasing after him and desiring him and telling the world about him, even though we live in days of great evil where others sit around us and say, aha, aha, I like this saying because I can just imagine, um, like, you know how when you, when you were a child and you would get in trouble and then you're like your brothers or sisters would see you and they're like, ha, 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 you got in trouble? That's the way I imagine it. So we see people that are, that are around our lives wanting bad things to happen to us, wanting us to fail. There are those that are saying, aha, look at you. And sometimes we want to get out of the game because we don't want people to say, aha. Instead, we need to pray that God helps us continue to testify. I, I don't know where you're at today. I know where some of you are. I know some of you are walking through deep, challenging seasons in your life. Some of you are, are overwhelmed with a lots of unknowns. And you need the Lord just to start giving you your answers. Well, continue to go to him. He has not left you. But in his timing and in his way, he will deliver you. Or maybe you're here today and you know that you are spiritually in need of deliverance, that you are, are running straight towards hell because of your disobedience. I encourage you today to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. As we um, close, ha- have this um, closing song today, um, the title of the song is called Cornerstone. It's the reminder that our lives are to be built on Jesus, that it's from that place when we make Jesus our rock, we will not be moved. Even though the world all around us will be shaky and unknown to us, it's known by God and we can walk with grace and peace with him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the message today. Father, we thank you for your words and the reminder of the importance 
and the purpose of gathering together. Because God, we have been delivered. We were in a place where we were helpless. We were in a place where we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But because of Jesus and because of what he's done and because of our faith in him, we now are alive. And not only do we have the promises of your faithfulness in this life, we have the promises of heaven to come. And so Father, may we live well through the mountaintops. May we live well from the bottom of the pit. But may we live every day of our lives fully surrendered to you. Saying, God, not my will, but your will. Not my way, but your way. And now as we sing this song in the great congregation, may this song be our promise. May this song be praise. And may this song just be our commitment to make you the center of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.